0: Father, we come here this morning honoring You and reverencing You, Lord. That is why we've worshiped You. We come to You because You're our Father this morning. And we come because we need our Father to speak to us. It may be encouragement that we need. It may be correction that we need. It may be wisdom that we need. It may be direction that we need. It may be all of those that we need. And we know today that Father knows best. We know today that you, Father, know what it is we need to hear and what it is we need to see. We know that your word teaches us that hearing it alone is not enough. We need to hear it with the intention of doing it. And so we're asking today, first of all, by the Holy Spirit, that he would enable me to speak only what you want spoken and only under the anointing of your Spirit. For I myself have nothing to offer to myself, let alone to anyone else but Your Spirit in me, Your call and Your Spirit in me does. And so I yield to Him. And we thank You for the Word that You've given to us, and we ask You to take this Word and to breathe the breath of life into our hearts and into our minds, Father, that we may receive exactly what it is You want to do in us and for us today. And we thank You for that in Jesus' name. As I was praying, I was reminded that one of the things the Bible teaches us is that if you, the intention with which you come determines what you will get. If you come to hear a good message, or if you come just to go to church and check it off today, I went to church, then that's all you're going to get. But if you come expecting God to speak to you, then you will hear God speak to you. But I've learned this, that you will only really hear the depth of what He has to say to you if you hear with the intention of doing. There's a difference between listening and hearing. Listening is when you get the words. Hearing is when they make an impact on you and change your life. And God wants to make an impact on us together and on us individually this morning. Praise the Lord. I've asked them to put up this, these pictures again uh, because we're talking about growing up. And 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 the, the as I've mentioned each Sunday we've been in this series that that picture when we first uh, we, we were talking around the, as the staff about you know well what would be a good image to, and Pastor Michael came up what about a kid wearing his father's suit and then Charles found this and it's perfect and as I was looking at this before the first me- message I realized you know the first impression is you've got a little boy trying to dress up like his father. And I've shared with you that, that our grandkids, I don't remember what our kids did, it was so long ago, but, but all of our grandkids at some point when they were growing up and coming over to our house, while we would be sitting around the table talking as, you know, mothers and fathers with, our, with us, their parents, the kids would go into our bedroom and put on, the girls would put on uh, their grandma's shoes and maybe a scarf and come out parading out around us. And uh, my grandson would put on my shoes and obviously they didn't fit because you clomped around because there's an instinct in children to imitate their parents and God built that in. So the question is, what model do we give them to imitate? Because they will imitate you. But then I began to realize as I looked at this, it can also be looked at a different way. Maybe that's really an adult man with his adult suit, but inside he's still a little boy. And some of you ladies know what that's like, to be living with a little boy inside. And there's a part of that that's charming as long as when you step into your responsibilities as a husband, a father, and a man of God, you're wearing your big boy pants and your big boy suit. So the Bible talks about a process of growing up, and what I really felt the Lord showing me as we began this year is to talk about this, because what we've learned so far in this series is there's a principle in Genesis, which is seed time and harvest. The the kingdom of God does everything by the sowing of a seed, and in that seed is everything that's necessary for whatever that seed is designed to produce, to produce it. So a tomato seed has everything that's in there to produce a tomato plant, which when if it grows properly and matures, it will produce fruit out of it that contains other seeds for other tomato plants. And, and that same is true, principle is true for everything God creates, and that is true of human beings. So back in the garden, God started with a man and a woman, but the next generation came by sowing a seed. The man sowed his seed into the woman's womb, and then two children, eventually three children were born out of that, and because they grew up and produced seed, you and I are here today. If you stop and think about that, go back and read Genesis 1 and 2, we're all here because they sowed seed together. And so in that seed is everything God has ordained, the power, the force, the life that is the potential to produce everything God designed for, for that life as well as to pass on to others in, in the principle of multiplication. So the question is, what fruit are we bearing? You know, this is an age when grace is being emphasized and it should because we kind of, kind of went to the other extreme about legalism a number of generations ago. But the Bible talks a lot about works, fruit, the fruit of our lives. Jesus said, I called you to bear fruit. In fact, in John 15, he said, every branch that doesn't bear fruit, God does something with it. And he prunes them, even the ones that are bearing fruit, to bear more fruit. Jesus told his disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. That I chose you that you may bear fruit for the kingdom and that that fruit would remain, that it would be real fruit that would remain and sustain. But there's a process for that seed to mature. There's a process for that tomato plant to grow up. And we saw Jesus explains this, I think it's in Mark chapter 4, where Jesus talks about the sower, the the farmer sows the seed and he waters it and it grows. But he doesn't understand how, he doesn't need to understand how, he just knows that it does it. But eventually it will produce a blade, then that blade will turn into a stalk, and eventually that stalk will mature into a full-blown plant which will produce fruit. And your life and my life are no different than that. God put in you a seed, and I'm not talking now about your physical seed, I'm talking about when you were born again, God sowed into you by the Spirit of the living God the seed of His life, the seed of His Son, and God has been at work in you and me ever since we were born again to grow for that seed to grow and mature in us until it would mature and produce fruit in our lives that would be fruit under the kingdom of God. And we saw that God is at work to do that. Just as that seed, once you water that seed and plant it, it's going to start working to produce what God intended. In the same way, when you were born again, when the seed of God came inside of you, He's been at work in you, trying to produce this. And it it is through a process of maturing and growing up. But unlike the plants, unlike the tomato plant, unlike the you can put yeah okay, unlike the tomato plant, unlike those plants. They can't stop it from happening, but you and I can stop that process of growth and maturity, even though it's God and work in us, because we have to cooperate with Him. Because the one thing He gave to you, He didn't give to the tomato, tomato plant, is a free will. The tomato plant has no choice of whether it's going to grow up or not. As long as it's watered, as long as it's planted, as long as it gets what's needed, it will grow up, it will produce tomatoes. It doesn't, it doesn't have the capacity to say, I won't grow up, I won't grow up, I will never... But like Peter Pan said, I won't grow up. It doesn't, it can't do that, but you and I can. Because God gave us a free will. And at every step of this growth, we have a choice of whether to allow God to co- work in us and to cooperate with Him and say, no, I'm not going any further. And God will keep working in you, but you can stop the will of God in your life. You can stop the will of God in your life. But I want you to know there's a lot at stake and whether we grow up. There's a lot of stake in your life. There's a lot of stake in your family's life. There's a lot of stake in this church. There's a lot of stake in the kingdom of God with whether we allow Him to help us to grow up or not. And we'll look at it. There's warnings in the Bible. If you refuse to grow up, what happens? It's not God's mad at us, but there's consequences to not growing up. Not growing up. So what we begin to look at is, well, what is this like? And we saw that God, that this, there are stages to our physical growth, there are stages to our emotional growth, there are stages to our social growth, in the same way there are stages to our, to our spiritual growth. And we looked at those stages last week. We saw that the first stage is that of an infant, a brand new baby. And there's such an excitement about an infant, and because it's just nothing but fresh potential. There's all the potential, that you never, nobody ever looked at Well, I don't know that nobody ever looked at it, but I don't ever remember anybody looking at this child and saying, Wow, I wonder if they're going to grow up to be a mass murderer. No, we see the wonderful potential, and that's in us. God puts that in us for children. And so God sees us when we're born again with a potential. And so, but but just an infant needs to be fed. They can do nothing for themselves. They need somebody to feed them. They need somebody to change them. They need somebody to keep, make sure that they're warm and they're protected. And so God entrusts them to parents. And I understand that, that especially in this day and age, not every family is, is functioning the way God designed it. But God's design was that that child would be born into a, into a family that was made of a man and a woman. A man and a woman. And they were joined together in a covenant of marriage before God. This was God's plan, his best. Because it was only this is why God does not ordain sexual relationships outside of the covenant of marriage. Because in that relationship is the power to produce life. And if we do that outside of a marriage covenant, we're producing life outside of a covenant that God has ordained for the raising of life because that life is so precious to Him. And so God's plan is to bring that child into the earth. So that's why God entrusted to a mother to carry around, brings forth that child, and God's designed it so that child is fed in a nurturing position so that that child is loved and cared for. And because what's necessary for growth, listen carefully, what's necessary for growth at each stage is a loving, accepted environment where they feel safe and of value. And if those are lacking, they may grow physically, but they won't grow in a healthy way and i shared with you some stories i've heard from bob gass who who has not only produces the word for you today which we help here but he also has orphanages in romania where these children were born uh, out of a out of a regime and, uh, of where parents were just slaughtered, and, and there was an epidemic of AIDS. So you have these enormous uh, orphanages over there where children are raised, they're fed and they're clothed, but they're not able to be nurtured and held by somebody that loves them. And as these generations grow up, they see the effect, they're stilted in their growth, their emotional growth, and, and, and because they didn't get what was needed. And so, so in the same way, a spiritual child, somebody that's just born again, needs those exact same elements to grow and mature. And, and just as we would never think to have a baby born and then just abandon it and leave it. That's criminal today. Yet that's exactly what we do with babies in Christ. Our great-grandson was born and he was born a little prematurely and, and he, they wouldn't let him go home until he had certain, passed certain marks where he could survive, where they knew that when he went home, he, you know, he, would, he didn't need an incubator anymore. His, his certain blood levels were at a certain amount so that he could survive at home. They wouldn't allow the child to leave the hospital. And yet we allow spiritual children to go off and say, well, praise God, they got saved. Check another one off. And we have no idea what they're going off into. And that's our responsibility as a church. And it's not just us as a staff. It's all of us those of you that bring people and they give their life to the Lord, you've got a responsibility for them because you brought them into the world. You helped bring them into the world. And so many, this is where many new believers die. They just die. They, they, they fade back into the world. The next stage is a toddler. Toddler where you're becoming aware that there's something beyond you. And you although the we went over this last week, that there's something beyond you and, and, and you're beginning to realize you're part of something a little bigger you also begin to realize, you know there's, you begin to recognize yourself as an individual, the baby, the baby doesn't, it just knows it needs, but a toddler begins to realize there's a world out there and they want to explore that world and so they begin to venture out a little bit and we talked about how learning to walk and, 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 and parents, in order to help them to the stage, when they fall, when they make a mistake they pick them up, they help them, they encourage them, they kiss their boo-boos and and they set them back on their way again. And, 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 and we saw that, 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 that toddlers in the church need the same thing. They need loving acceptance. They need somebody to kiss their boo-boos and to pick them up and help them when they ventured out and they made a mistake and they stumbled. Instead of being judged, they need to be picked up and to be comforted. A toddler does. So we've got to know the stage. If you've been a Christian for 20 years, you're not a toddler. You may be toddling but you're not a toddler. I'm 72. I've been a Christian for about 38 years. I can toddle, but I'm not a toddler. And then we saw the next stage as a child. A child begins to realize that they're part of something bigger than themselves. They begin to understand that they 're not only in a part of a family that 's giving them benefits but they have certain responsibilities now, which is why it 's important for children to have chores somebody to, something that 's within their ability that, that they have a responsibility to contribute to the processing and welfare of the house and if, even if it 's just to pick up your toys and put them back so when our grandkids come over i mean our, some of our children are here. Whatever, then these our grandkids pick our house up for us now. But when they were younger, their parents, before they'd leave, they said, look, you've got stuff, all, you put it back before you leave the house. They were teaching them responsibility. You've had the pleasure of being here, but you have a responsibility for yourself. So a, ta- a child needs to begin to learn those responsibilities. And a child begins to learn that he can do some things for himself. He can dress himself. He can, you know, uh, pick his own room up. He can eat, eat for himself, all these things. And in the same way, a spiritual child in church needs to realize they have responsibilities. They're getting the benefit of whatever is here, whatever's part of this church. Maybe it's some counseling. It's sitting here in the word. It's listening to the wonderful music. All those are benefits we're getting for being part of the family here. But if you're a child you need to begin to realize there's some responsibilities I have to contribute to this family, to this, this, this part of the body of Christ here. And there are many of you sitting there that have talents and abilities, even if it's just time, and you're just sitting there selfishly getting what you need instead of realizing, well, I have a responsibility, as a, as, just as a child, I have a responsibility to contribute something back. <clears throat> That's just as a child. It's going to get better. Okay? Child has endless questions. Why? 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 Child's easily distracted. You know, you give them to pick up their room, and while they're playing with the toys, the next, put the toys away, they, they remember, oh, you know what? I remember this. And they start playing with this instead of remembering. So a child's easily distracted. And we're going to see again today, if I get into it, uh, we saw last week that in Ephesians, one of the th- things talking about the maturity maturing as a Christian is that we're a, a child in Christ is so easily led around by every wind of doctrine. The, the, the latest doctrine that's out there on t- did you hear, bro, this was prophesied, this is out there on the Internet, chasing around after all kinds of things. That's what a child does, which is why a child needs parents to say, this is what's important, this is what you need to eat. And this is a family, and there's a father here to tell you, help you stay on track with what's for. Not the control, but we need to recognize that if we're part of a family, if we're part of the body of Christ, there's certain things we need in order to mature, in order to grow up. And then we talked about uh, a, ch- this, this, a child still needs loving, they need discipline, and then we saw the next stage is adolescence. And we didn't get into that a whole lot, but, but, but adolescence is this, that stage of life where you're, uh, you're, you're becoming an adult. You, your body's becoming more like an adult. The hormones have been working in your body to produce in- evidence that you're, uh, you're growing into an adult male and an adult female, but you're not yet there. So you're sort of in between, which is why it's such a difficult, awkward age they, they, they realize, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm going to be an adult and they often think of themselves as an adult. So they see the privileges. They want to venture out. They want to try new things. They want to, they want to assert their independence from their family. And there's a part of that that's right because they need to recognize... But, but they need to understand something. This is what's hard sometimes for adolescents. That not only is there privileges of growing up, there's responsibility of growing up. So I want to drive... I want to have my own car. I can't wait to drive and get my own car. But don't understand that with the car comes responsibilities. Gas, insurance, registration, driving carefully, who you drive with in the car because you're responsible for them. And it's growing. So it's an awkward stage. You're neither yet an adult fully, but you're still not, a, you're not yet a child anymore. And this is where a lot of Christians are stuck. And because, a, because a, a, a young adult, which is what I like to call them, because a, an adolescent beginning to look like a, an adult, beginning to have their voices getting deeper for men, other signs are taking place for women, g- young girls, young women, they begin to think of themselves, that, but they're still not. And this is where a lot of Christians are. Because they're doing adult-like things, but they're still at times act like a child they've not let go of the childish things 1st Corinthians chapter 13 put that verse up there paul writes this to the church at corinth which he said is babies and, and the gifts of the Spirit were functioning very powerfully there. Powerful, dramatic miracles were taking place. Amazing things were happening in their church services. So they thought they were so mature that they were correcting the Apostle Paul. At one point told him he couldn't come there because he was too immature. This is what... Sp- spiritual pride is the most dangerous sin there is. Hell was birthed from spiritual pride. And it's still the gateway there. So Paul writes back to them, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought, understood as a child, and I thought as a child. So when you're a child, there's a certain way you think, there's a certain way you talk, there's a certain way you understand what's going on and there's a certain way you think. And when you're a child, that's expected of you because you're a child. But he said, when I became a man, I put away childish speaking, childish understanding, childish thinking. This is that stage of adolescence where my body, I'm beginning to look like, I'm beginning to look like an adult. I felt the Lord leading me to go back through Revelation and, 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 and the, the letters that Paul, that Paul, that Jesus wrote to the seven churches. Because this is not Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee. This is not Jesus with a lamb over his shoulder bringing the lost lamb back. Jesus is like that. But this Jesus speaking to churches, and he had something different to say to each church. And the most chilling one, he has to say, is to the last church, the church at Laodicea. He said, you think you are wealthy. You think, in other words, you think think you're doing a great job because you're looking at what's going on outwardly. But here's what I see. And since he's the head of the church, it's what he sees that matters. He said, you think you're wealthy. You think you're well-dressed. You think you're looking good in church. But I say, you're blind, naked, and wretched. But he says, I'm saying that to you because I love you. And because I love you, I will correct you. And you will have an opportunity, basically says, to grow up. And I believe God's speaking to us like that. Because of whatever's to come, we need to be ready. And he's been impressing on me again, even more so, the responsibility that I have as the pastor of this church to get us ready, under His grace and under His help. And that means we may need to hear things we don't want to hear. And if you're just here to hear things that cause your ears to itch and excite you, you're in the wrong place. But if that's you, you need to be somewhere where you're going to hear the truth, the truth spoken in love. And understand this, I'm speaking things to you God's already talking to me about. I'm not telling you I'm sitting here because I've arrived and I'm accomplished and I'm looking down. The things God's begun to show me cause chills go up and down my spine. But it's loving correction for me. And I'm so grateful because I want to hear. And each of these letters he wrote to each of these churches where he said something different to each church, which means Jesus knows each church. And he said, I know the good things that you've done but here's what I have. There's only one church he didn't have something against. He said, I know your works. I know the fruit you pro- that's been produced for you. And then he tells them what to change. And he said, in, in, in to repent and make these changes. In each case, it was different. And then he ends each one of them by saying, he who has ears to hear. We talked about hearing at the beginning of this message. He didn't say, he who listens, he who has ears to hear. So we can have ears that don't hear. Let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And my prayer is that we've got have ears to hear. That we've got ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I told you before we went on vacation that the Lord spoke to me. He says, son, you're, 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 beginning, to, to, you're beginning to struggle. You're getting worn down because you're not hearing from me. You're listening to everybody else. And it doesn't mean I don't listen to people. But he said, you've got to ultimately hear from me. And you've, 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 you've gotten so busy looking, trying to put out so many fires, you've not taken the time to pull aside and listen to me. He was ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit's saying to the church. So an adolescent is somebody that's, that's trying to... They want to be big, and they are. They're getting there. They're almost, they're almost there, but they're not quite there yet. And it's a very difficult stage to go through a very challenging difficult stage to go through but we got to be willing put that verse back up there we've got to be willing to let go of our childish things And, and they've given us some pleasure and i'm not telling you what it is for you the spirit of god inside of you will point out to you what's childish but it's anything that you used to do as a child that you know you shouldn't be doing as a man or a woman And we're going to talk, I believe, next week, what this means, what a mature Christian looks like. So we can see where where the Lord is taking us. I put away childish things. Because if you don't put them away, they're going to talk to you. It's like that last piece of apple pie sitting on the counter talking to you. you. It's going to be a waste to throw it away you might as well eat it. <coughs> we won't go there. All right. Now, in each of these stages, for us physically or emotionally, it takes a certain atmosphere for us to move on to the next stage. A toddler will not step away, as I told you the story of my daughter last week, a daughter when she, she learned took her first steps. It was, it was when we were visiting Anita's parents. They had just arrived. The atmosphere was just right. Nobody was focusing on her. Listen carefully. Nobody was focusing on her, expecting anything out of her. We were all enjoying talking and being together and remembering things. And she just saw the moment was right. And she looked at her mother sitting in that chair. And suddenly this, this inspiration came. I could do this. And she began, Remember that. And she remembered. She stepped out. Now, she could do that because she knew that if she fell that she wasn't going to get criticized, she wasn't going to get spanked, she wasn't going to say, what kind of, what kind of child are you? You should be walking by now. She began to... Should, I, should I, could I go there, Lord? Yeah, I will. This is real practical stuff. There are many children that have been damaged in the process of learning potty training because there was pressure put on them by their parents for all the wrong reasons. Either for the parent's convenience or because the parent was embarrassed and we transfer that pressure to the child to force them to do something that's supposed to flow, flow naturally. <laughs> <clears throat> I stepped out, I won't go there either. <clears throat> but that's, an, that's a good example of how we do damage and affect their growth to the next level, because we're trying to do something for our motive, not what's best for them. So in order to grow and mature from one stage to another, we need, they need, a, a child needs an atmosphere where they know they're loved, where they know they're accepted no matter whether they fail or not, because you cannot venture to... If, that, if our daughter was afraid that if she stumbled and fall, we were going to climb all over her and criticize her, she would have held on to what's safe and not grown and matured. And in the same way, for a child to grow, to move from one, and they need, they need to know they're loved, they need to know they're secure, they need to know they're safe, and they need to know that someone's going to help them and, cor- and correct them if they're wrong, that gives security. And just as that's necessary, in our homes for our children to grow and mature from one stage to another. It's just as necessary in the church. But we haven't seen the church as having this role. We've served the church as the place I come to on Sunday morning and say, I go to Faith Christian Center, you ought to come with me. Because, you know, the music's great, or we like the preaching, or we like the chairs, which we're going to get new ones for you. You know, we like this, we like that, we like... So it's all me, 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 what I get out of it. That's very much like a toddler. I don't like this food. I like this food. I don't like these toys. I want what somebody else has. And we've not seen this as what the Bible says we are—an organic family, not just a co- we're a community. The Bible sometimes talks about us as a family, sometimes it talks about us as a building, sometimes it talks about us as the body of Christ, but those are except for the building, those are organic things that have a relationship with each other for the mutual benefit. And so just as in a, in a home that's healthy and that a child can grow up and healthy, in the same way spiritual children need to be part of a spiritual family where all these things are present so that they can grow and mature from infanthood to toddler to child and through adolescence. But the problem is since most of us are still adolescent, <laughs> it's hard for us to do what an adult parent is supposed to do. I knew that would go over big. Okay, so the church is Christ's body here to provide what we all need to grow through these stages. But it's ultimately to grow up together for His purposes. And we'll talk more about that next week. So it takes people who care about each other with a goal of what's best for the family and each other. And for Christians, this is intended by God to be supplied by the local church. This is why a local church is so critical, and we're in a day and age where people can get it by television and we film and televise these, the, the, the messages at least it's in a day where you can get all kinds of things by streaming but you can stream something and be. and first of all, if you're watching if you're getting, and I know I'm speaking to the choir who's here today, but if you're getting fed by what's on television here's the problem with that, you get to control what you're watching I don't like that one I'm going to find somebody I like. And that's like a child saying, I get to choose what food I want to eat. Well, those of you who have parents of small children, you know what they're going to choose. They're going to choose what tastes good, what feels good, but it's not what's needed for them to grow up. Not only the Word of God warns us that, that to not forsake our watching of, the show, watching, of streaming the messages on television... No, it says, not forsake your assembling to- together. All the more as you see that day approaching. Well, when that was written in Hebrews, that was over 2,000 years ago, it's approaching a lot closer now than it was back then. So I'm encouraging you. This is why we need each other. Part of what concerns me is, is the society we live in, the culture we live in. I'm talking about the Christian culture we live in. The statistics, and I've heard these over and over again, is that the, the average Bible-believing, tongue-talking Christian who says that they are a faithful, active member in the church when asked how often you come, and I'm not looking at anybody, when they ask how often you come, they say twice a month. So the norm out there for faithfulness is twice a month. That's the high end of the norm. For some, it's once a month. But because it's regular, I'm a regular church attender. What if you ate once a month? Once a week? Well, we you have some of that coming up soon. All right. Oh, this is going to be good. Okay. So, let's look at what this atmosphere is to be like. The atmosphere so that we can grow. The first element, which is the one I've been mentioning, is John chapter 13. Jesus is talking to His disciples, and He's about to leave. He's preparing them for His leaving. John chapter 13. We taught out of this a number of months ago when we, did a, we acted out uh, um, what he ends up doing. But in this message, this is before he now has his, his inner conference with them. The, the wonderful thing about this chapter, and they're not going to have it up there, but it ends by saying he knew he was finished here. He was about to depart and go back to his father. And it says, he loved his own who were in the world and he loved them to the end. And that word means the limit. So this chapter begins by saying Jesus knew he was leaving. He was going to go to the Father, and He was going to turn this over to them, what we're talking about now. And it says, He loved them to the end. He loved them to the limit. And then the exercise He went through of washing their feet was to demonstrate to them, here's the Son of God kneeling down and washing their dirty old feet as an act of the evidence of His love for them. His love for them was evidenced by how He served them. And then in, chap, in this chapter 13, in verse 34, He gives them these instructions. A new commandment I give you. Notice He says that you love one another. He's not here talking about loving the world. We're to do that too. But He's beginning by saying, love one another. And notice it's a commandment. This will solve every marriage problem. This will solve every family issue. This will solve every issue in your life. It's not complicated. It's just doing it. And the key is the third word, commandment. This is not a principle. This is not a suggestion. This is not His counsel to them. This is not saying, you know, try this and it will improve things. This is a commandment. So our relationships with each other, how we handle them, is already established if you're a Christian. If you are a Christian, you've already committed to do what he says. And that's part of the problem is nowadays we think that when I get saved what it means is I've joined a church or I've joined this movement or I've jo- and I get a benefit. I get to go to heaven. I don't have to go to hell. But there's responsibilities that come with it. A commandment. And the commandment is given by the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church. The commandment is given by the second person of the Godhead. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Now we're talking about that the church, the local church, is, is intended by God to be a loving community where we love one another, other than by saying on Sunday morning, "Hi, how are you doing?" What if that's all God said? See that word "love," because look at what goes on: love one another, and said, like, "Well, we—I love, love my brothers. I love." but see the next words: "As I have loved you." He just washed their feet, their dirty, smelly old feet. What if part of our greeter's responsibility when we come in was to wash your feet? We're not going to do that. We, I, we are wonderful greeters. But if we advertise, we need new greeters, and your first responsibility when they come in is to wash their feet. Oh, I wouldn't do that. Jesus did it for us. I'm not suggesting that's what we do. But it says attitude of serving. Serving out of love. Serving the needs of those around us because we love them. As see, but, but, but you understand, Pastor, my husband's not that lovable. You don't understand, saint. You're not that lovable when it comes to Jesus' as compared. He didn't save you because you're lovable. He didn't save me because I'm lovable. In fact, Romans 5 says, He saved the ungodly. He loved the ungodly so the love he's put in us is for ungodly so if you've got an ungodly husband you're to love him with that godly love that's in you you don't understand Jesus said this is my commandment one of us is right either Jesus or you this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another the same way I have loved you. In Ephesians 5, he makes this clear in the church, in, for, the, for marriage. He says, husbands, love your wives. And then he goes on, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands are to love your wife as Christ loved the church And He died for us. Say, how am I supposed to die for my wife? Begin to do what's best for her, not what you want. Begin to do what's going to bless her, what's going to be pleasing to her. Begin to do... But you understand what will happen. No, we're doing this for the Lord because the verse 21 says, Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence to Christ. We do this not because of our spouse deserves it. We do this out of reverence to Him who did this for us. So this is to be a community that loves one another, not by patting each other on the back, greeting each other, but literally with a sacrificial love. And I believe this is where God's calling us to go, as a congregation. Okay. So the first thing for creating that atmosphere is it has to be a loving atmosphere. And the next verse, verse 35. By this, by what? By the love we have for one another in here, By the love we have for one another in here, all will know that you're my disciples. So we talk about, you know, witnessing, and we talked uh, last year, I think it was, about being his witness. How are we to be his witness? He tells us by the love we have for one another. By this, the world will know that you're my disciples because you've done what I do. By the love you have, for one another see it's easy to come here and sing with tears down your cheeks I love you Lord and I lift my voice which I don't do very loud because I don't want you to hear it (laughs) and we sing how much we love Lord and we're sincere but if we really love him that way we're going to love one another because that's what he's because you understand me that person that you have trouble loving he loves them (laughs) that person you have get mad at and you have issues with he died for them just as he died for you you're no better than they are you may be further along in the process but you're just as ungodly on your own as, he is, as they're ungodly on their own there's an old saying the ground is level at the foot of the cross you may have come from some high and mighty place or some low place on the other side of the tracks but where we come together is at the foot of the cross where the ground is level. We all were ungodly until He came to us and He died for each one of us. Love one another as I have loved you. Then the world's going to know what He's like. If we just start loving one another this way people getting near this place will be drawn in because this world desperately needs that kind of love. And we need it from each other. We need it from each other. Okay, next thing. Galatians 6. Verse 1. In a loving family where people can grow and mature, we have to have help and encouragement. Brethren, if a man is overtaken by any trespass, and that's a woman also, you who are spiritual, you who are mature spiritually, Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. But That's not what we do. Somebody stumbled and fallen, and this is talking primarily about sexual sin, but it could be anything. Somebody stumbled and they fall, what do we do? We point fingers at them. Why? Because it makes us feel better. Oh, wow. Look what they did. Because it makes me feel better because I didn't do that lately. <laughs> And we think I'm doing better than they are. But that's what children do, isn't it? Children compete with each other. They compete for their parents' attention. They not knowing that they love, they have all the love they're ever gonna need. They compete with their toys, they compete for their attention, and they tell on each other. That's a child. But we think we're so spiritual. If a man's overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, this is a sign of being spiritually mature, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, this is, if we just do this, it will change a lot of things, unless you're also tempted. Don't realize we're all susceptible. Verse 2. Bearing one another's burdens." Bearing one another's burdens. Helping one another. Caring for one another. Recognizing if a brother's struggling, that I can come beside them and underneath them and help them. Because the Lord wants to do all kinds of things in our lives But most of those things He wants to do for us, He wants to do through other people. And there's another side to this. Some of us are loners. We want to do this all on our own, in our own time with the Lord, and we don't want to need anybody. But God has designed us to need each other. Uh, Proverbs 18.1 basically says, that if you isolate yourself, you're selfish and immature. We better move off of that one. That's not too comfortable for me. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is this law of love. We're to have such a caring for one another, a caring for one another, that we help one another, we encourage one another. I can't tell you the times I've come in here before a service, and somebody just said something to me, and it just lifted me up. She said, you're the pastor? Yes, I need to be lifted up, because I deal with issues in life just like you do, let alone all of you, (laughs) and the pressures that come on me, and just sometimes a word of encouragement for one another, and so fulfill the law of Christ, verse 3, for if anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Elsewhere in the Bible says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, but soberly. See, when we judge somebody else, we're thinking highly of ourselves. When a child tells on another brother or sister, they're thinking highly of themselves. In fact, they're trying to make themselves look good by putting their brother or sister down. And notice what happens. He deceives himself. There's a devil out there trying to deceive us as one thing, but to do it to ourselves? Verse 4. But let each one examine his own work. This is what children do. They're looking at each other's work. Well, they're not doing this right. They didn't put their clothes on right. They didn't make their bed, Mommy. Mommy's first question is, did you make yours? Let each one examine his own work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Verse 5. Let each one bear his own load. Wait a minute, I thought we're supposed to help each other bear. Two different words. The first word says, help your brother bear his load. That word bear is a word that means a huge rock, a huge boulder, something that's so large they can't handle it themselves. This is a small thing. This is your responsibility. This word implies the responsibility that's been given to you. So this goes back. I've often thought that what we ought to do in, in the big people church is have some of the rules that I used to see in the children's church. Sit in your chair. Don't proke your, don't proke your, your, your neighbor. Talk only when to asked to talk. You know, don't chew gum. Real simple rules that are designed for children in here, because many of us... Well, we won't go there. Okay. Say amen or o oh me, one or the other let's go to Ephesians 4 we'll come back here this is kind of the, the, the map in here oh Lord we've got to move along oh we've got to move along Ephesians 4 verse 11 and we'll spend more time in this next week because next week we're going to well we may be, we may not get out of this one today verse 11 Jesus is talking about the grace or Paul's talking about the grace that's been given to him and given to the church And verse 11 we'll pick up here because it starts in verse 7, but to each one of us a grace has been given by Christ. So now he goes through some little parenthetical discussion about Christ, and then he goes, uh, verse 11, he himself, that's Christ, has given some, that's some of this grace, some of his provision for the church, he gave as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, and actually that word pastors and teachers is one word in the Greek, they're combined together, so it's pastor-teacher. These are gifts that Christ has given to the church for a purpose. Verse 12. Why are they given? For equipping the saints. Stop there for a second. The word equip means to make fit for, by a process for a purpose. It means to out... One of the words that was used originally was if a, if a ship was getting prepared to go on a long voyage, uh, a, a, a fishing vessel or, or a, 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 freight, a ship that was going to transport goods somewhere else, they would outfit it. They would outfit it with what was needed for the journey. So they would make sure the sails were, were intact, that, 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 were, that were, there were no holes in them. They were a fishing vessel. They would make sure the nets had, were, were, were properly cleaned and properly mended together. They would make sure there were enough provisions in the, in the, in the boat for the, for the journey. So it would outfit or equip it. So the word means to, to prepare something for a purpose and through a process. That's what that word means. So what this is telling us is these five ministry gifts are given to the church to equip us to prepare the saints. Now, I want to mention that for a minute because so many of you came out of, out of a tradition where saints were people that were put up in stained glass windows and were venerated. And some of them may have been saints and some of them may not. I don't know. But in the Bible, the word saint refers to a believer. Someone, the word just means sanctified or set apart from the world. So he's talking to you and me. So these ministry are gifts are given to equip us, the church. See the model that's been taught out in our in the church in general is that the, the pastors the professional. So it's called a profession, and we in the congregation are, are pay the professional to do the to do the ministry, but that's not what the Bible teaches at all. The Bible says that the work of ministry is to be done by the church. By the body of Christ. See, look at there's a there's a there's a dirty word in there. It's a four letter word that it's okay to say in church. W O R K. The work of it's work. And the word ministry has taken on this meaning that's a profession. Oh, you're a minister. This big concept of, oh, when I grow up as a Christian, maybe I'll be a a minister. If you're a Christian, you already are. Because that word literally means a table waiter. When you go to a good restaurant, some of you have been waiters and waitresses, do you look at them and say, oh, wow, I just can't wait to be a table waiter. Now, if you're a busboy, maybe that's what you're saying, but... And, and, and what's, a waiter's, what's a table waiter's job? It's to take what you need, okay, get your order, take what you need, go back in the kitchen and give it to the chef. The chef's the one that spent the time gathering the, the food. The chef's the one that's prepared the food. And then when it's ready, you take what the chef prepared and you go back to the table and you s- serve them. So ministry means serving. Right. And Jesus gave the standard. He says, I, You call me Master and Lord, and you're right. I am Master and Lord. I am the Son of God. And if I washed your feet, if I washed your feet, if I served you, and you needed your stinky old... I won't go there. Feet washed. If that's what you needed... That's what I bowed to do. And He was preparing them for the ultimate foot washing was He was going to go to the cross and die for their sins. So the purpose, of the bo- the purpose here of the ministry gifts we have here are to equip us so that we can do the work of serving. Why? For what purpose? For the edifying, the building up of the body. the word "edify" means to build up. To do build up in two ways: to make strong what is already there. Through the uh, for years, I've exercised. I've never wanted to be Charles Atlas. I'm never going to be Charles Atlas. Some of you don't know. Google him when you get home. <laughs> but Charles Atlas is. I'm never going. To, I don't want to be that. But as I got older, I want to have some muscle tone. I don't want you know, everything. As Miriam Brown says, as you get older, everything that's north tends to want to go south. And, and you know, I wanted to help to reverse the process, or at least preserve it, and there was something I could do. It's called exercise. Plus, I wanted to be in condition so that, it might, you know, I had, I had energy, so I started exercising 20 years ago. But through some of the treatments I went through a year or so ago, and through some other things I've gone through, I've had to set it aside. So I had to go through the process of beginning to do it all over again. But what you do when you exercise is you do two things. Depending on the exercise, you're taking the muscles that are already there, and by by by, w- w- what do they call it? Working out. I went into the gym the other day. They towel. goes, "Have a good work out." It was work to do the workout. Not sitting in a blue chair. It's the work that causes you to grow. It's the serving that causes you to grow. Work, exercise, and exercise is what? It's putting pressure against those muscles. It's doing things your body's telling you, you shouldn't, you're gonna die if you do this. But it gets you out of your comfort zone, and then what happens is you get to the place where your body wants to do it you get to the place that if you can't do it, your body's saying, oh, oh hey, wait, John, you missed something. I want to go do that because it likes that feeling. It likes, and the same is true as serving in ministry. The same is true as serving. You get to the point, what else can I do? That's why statistically in a church, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That's statistically hold true for generations. What if 100% of the work was done by 80% of the people? What more could be done? And here's the problem. Just like my muscles, if I'm not using them and exercising, they begin to atrophy. They get weaker. You lose muscle mass and you get flabby. And when you're really flabby, it shows. Because if you have to suddenly do something, well, I won't go there. <laughs> Verse 13. Why? Why? And we'll spend more time on this next week. Until we all say all, all. that's that includes you. All come to the unity of the faith. We all come to the knowledge of the Son of God. This is the building up of the church, and to a perfect man. So, huh, you can't be perfect. The word perfect doesn't mean no defects. It means mature. So this whole process, God puts in a church ministry gifts to equip us, to give us what we need, the tools we need. But we have to exercise them. Just as in this gym, there's plenty of tools there. There's weight machines, there's Nordic tracks, there's all kinds, not Nordic tracks, but there's stair steppers and, and, and treadmills, all sitting there. And many of you have them sitting in your basement. Sitting in your basement with dust on them they make great clothes hangers for you know, drying things out but that's not what they Oh, be careful John we don't have enough time oh and often we take the things that God's given us to exercise and to grow with and we hang our dirty laundry on it we use it for some other purpose than it was intended. So the ministry gifts are given so that by operating together we would strengthen one another and grow up in all these things into a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Next verse. That we should no longer, we should no longer, no longer be children, this is addressed to an adult church no longer be children when I was a child, I thought as a child, I understood as a child I acted as a child, but when I became a man I put away childish things we no longer should be children and once one of the signs of a child we talked about already tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine whatever the latest thing that's out there we're carried away by it from what, from what we've been given to do. we are carried away, and you can tell those Christians, because they never grow up. They jump from one church to another, based on what they, whether they like the pastor, they like the music, so they're never rooted. A plant cannot grow, unless it's rooted, in soil that will nourish them. A Christian that's not rooted, in a local church, cannot grow up and mature. And yet they think they are because they think they're so discerning. Well, this pastor has this gift and this pastor has this gift. That's like the branch of a tomato plant deciding where the best place to plant the tomato seed was. By every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, there are men and women out there that will deceive you. It may be not them personally, maybe a spirit through them, but we're led by people. Away, there have been people that have been led out of this church by other people, and it was not God's will. It may have been God's will for the other person to go, but not them. By the trick, by the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, and who's that behind that? That's Satan. So, what do we do? Verse fifteen. How do we overcome? That? How do we grow? We'll see more of this later. But speaking the truth in love. That's the main process by which we grow up. That's the process by which these ministry gifts equip us and strengthen us, and we can for each other is speaking the truth in love. Many of us want to hear the want to speak truth, but we don't want to speak it in love. And Paul says in, I think it's 2 Corinthians, the letter of the law, the lost truth. It's the truth of God. But the letter of it kills. The simple truth of it kills. In John chapter 1, it says, And and the Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, even as the only God of Son, full of grace and full of truth. Both of them are joined together in Christ. And what causes us to grow? Speaking the truth, but speaking it in love may grow up in all things unto Him who is the head, even Christ. We'll talk about that next week. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, this is so important, this is how we grow. This is the atmosphere, like a healthy family. The church is to be a healthy family that's knitted together, that comes together to create this atmosphere. By whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies... We supply this connection for each other just as in a healthy natural family in a healthy church. According to the effective, oh here's that dirty word again, working, by which each part does its share. The way we grow and mature is by every one of us doing our share of the work. for the edifying, which causes the growth of the body. So what causes the growth... Well, how come this church isn't bigger? By which every part... By which every part... By which every part... Pastor, how, how come, Pastor, how come this church isn't growing more? By which every part... See... Back in verse 11, it says the ministry gifts equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. Well, pastor, how come you're not? Which every part, by which every part, so you said that before. I'm going to say it again. By which every part does it share. So in most churches, you've got 20% of the parts doing 80% of the share, and getting worn out and burnout. And what does it happen when we do our share? It causes the growth of the body to the edifying, to the building of itself up in love. In love. Christ looks down at Faith Christian Center today. The Spirit of the Lord is here this morning to help us. And, and I, I, I'm not hearing a voice saying to me, as it was written, see, see, it, it, Laodicea, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Ephesus, Smyrna, there are two others. Jesus wrote specific words to them. So, Pastor, what words have he written to us? From whom the whole body joined and knit together. He's written to us. And we can look at this and look at ourselves and find out where we are. So, what we need to do is look at ourselves, not at my neighbor, at me. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us identify spiritually how do you see me? Am I still an infant? You could be a Christian 30 years and still be an infant. Do you have to be bottle-fed? Do you have to be changed? Is everything about you? Maybe you've grown to the stage you're a toddler and you've ventured out and you've done some things for God and ventured out and, and, and but it's still all centered around you and, and what are you getting? And or are you a child and you're not really learning responsibilities yet and you're just kind of, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to clean up my room. I don't want to clean up... A lot of things I don't want to do. But I've got to do them because I'm a... Father, I'm a husband, I'm a pastor, i got to do things I don't want to do. Where are you spiritually? Are you an adolescent? You want to be a child, but you're being pulled and forced to be an adult? I didn't get into it yet, we will later on. But there's dangers in wanting to go back to being a child again. It says in Hebrews that the children of Israel, because they wanted to go back to Egypt, God would have let them. He couldn't have stopped them. That's why he had to keep them in the wilderness for forty years, because if he let them on their own, they would have gone back into what they wanted to be delivered from. It says that in two places. There's warnings about not growing. Hebrews five and six ends with five and begins with six. The warnings of not of not progressing, not to be scared of, but we need to be sober and awake. Are you an adolescent, or are you a mature Christian adult? Don't answer that too quickly until you come back next week, if any of you come back, (laughs) come back next week. But here's our choice. I've said to you, and I'm going to end in a minute, I've said to you, God's been speaking some very hard things to me, but they're in love. They're to challenge me as a pastor. They're to challenge me as a husband. They're challenging me as a father. They're challenging me as just a brother in Christ. They're challenging me to grow up in some areas I didn't want to grow up. And the way I found out I needed to grow up is I looked at what the Word says and I looked at my life and says, I didn't want to say, well, I'm a pastor. I've been saved for 38 years. No, I looked at what the Word says I was supposed to be doing and I looked at where I am and I wasn't there. And I cried out to God, forgive me. Repent. I was home repenting of some things this morning in prayer getting ready for today. Some things that I have not yet done as a pastor that God's just showing me, opening my eyes to the next stage of growth in my maturity as a Christian. So it's not just you. But we have to be willing to honestly look at ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to open the eyes of our understanding and look in our heart. We looked at some scriptures last week about letting Him search our hearts. Don't judge yourself. Don't sit there and condemn yourself because you'll beat yourself up and the devil will be in your ear telling you what a terrible Christian you are. But God corrects us because he loves us. And we can cooperate with this or we're resistant. Let's pray. Father, you love us so much. You're so patient with us, so gentle, so kind, but you're firm. Because you love us you don't just let us get away with things but you'll correct us and challenge us to grow. Because you know we'll be blessed if we grow up into who you've called us to be. We know that others around us need us to grow up. Our family needs us to grow up. And there's a world out there you want to reach that desperately needs us to grow up. But we know we can't do it ourselves. It's that life in us. It's the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in us who enables us even see where we need to grow. And that enables us to grow. Your Word says that you are at work in us, both to will and to do your good pleasure. And you're, you're perfecting that which concerns us. And so our confidence today is in Him, not in us. And so, Father, we come before you right now, and we ask you this week that you would open our hearts to see maybe in examples that will come to our mind as we go about our day from day to day and recognize our reaction and will show us that maybe that's childish. But Father, we just open our hearts to you to do with us and to do in us what you choose. In Jesus' name, Amen.